Wow. Well, we can just give an invitation now, and uh, everybody wants to get their marriage straightened out. That's a good place to start, isn't it? I, I like the line there that uh, that that uh, Paul shares um, that uh, we hope that uh, that our kids won't have to spend the first ten years of their marriage figuring it out. How many of you took about ten years to figure it out? Come on, be honest. Come on, yeah. I'm not sure that's going to work for you kids because every new couple's different and it takes about... What they do get to know is that their parents learned how to take that 10 years and figure it out rather than giving up because it's so, so worth it to work it through. Um, maybe not 10, 7. Um, that's, at least that's what they say. Um, earlier, I... Ha- I, sh- I uh, read a passage from 1 Corinthians 13, and I don't know about you, but it was read at my wedding, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's been read at wedding after wedding. It was read at my son's wedding um, just uh, a few, a month or so ago, a month or so, gosh, um, they, 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 I, I didn't think it would last. I think they're still married, and uh, so there, you know, it's, it was a it's a special verse, isn't it? A special passage. Of course, it's not really intended as a marriage passage. It's really intended as a God's people passage. And, uh, and I always like that. I think it's, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, uh, scripture that Paul gives us and God gives us in his word. Um, but if you read that, it's a beautiful description of love, but it's, it's not the love so often portrayed in movies or books. It's not that sentimental, oh, I feel so good about you kind of a thing. Uh, uh, It's not a love of feelings and emotions. Uh, There's nothing wrong with feelings and and emotions, but that's not what these are. These these are not condemned in that passage, but rather uh, they, they, they just fall short of the ultimate expressions of love. I mean, we can feel good about people all the time, and they, you know, and, and, and if you were, if you ever were a kid, you fall in and out of love. You know, you've heard the phrase "puppy love." Um, you know, it's puppy love, and and uh, I don't, I don't remember. A friend of mine said just the other day, you know, puppy love. You know, one thing we know for certain is it's real to the puppy. Um, you know, and uh, and so we have to be careful what we say to people who are facing that. But but you know, we face that. You know, the reality is, is infatuation seems real to the person who is infatuated. Um, you know, so we. Uh, th- that that idea of I feel like I love you is um, is, is a is a prominent when we're trying to prepare for marriage um, through the Bible, God's word. That is, I want to challenge today. I want to challenge you, men, just for a moment. I want to challenge you to um, love your wife. That's easy, right? I'm going to challenge you to love your wife. Now, I also uh, want to challenge you women, you who are wives or hope to be someday, uh, each godly one among you, to respect your husband. I didn't say love. I don't even have to ask you to love your husband. You will. I have confidence in that. Um, Now, well, I'll get there in a minute. Uh, To the extent... You succeed in love and respect. You represent Christ to the church and to the world. And as a side benefit, you experience life in, complete, in a completeness that only, that's only possible to those 
who know and walk with Christ. I want us to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We, we were there last week um, as uh, Mike took us through. Mike's uh, task was to take us through uh, just a handful of verses. And then he, uh, uh, I, for a while there, I thought he was going to preach my message. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, but, uh, but we're going to go back to that same passage again. We're only, only going to read uh, the verses beginning with, with uh, verse 22. Well, we are going to read with, beginning with verse 22. I don't remember what I had you put up there. Don't worry about it. We'll get to 25 in just a moment. But beginning with verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Of course, if we had backed up to verse 21, he said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and he was actually telling the whole church to get involved with that submitting, mutual submission to one another. He wasn't saying just couples, just husbands and wives, or just wives to the husbands. He was saying everyone is supposed to be submitting to one another. We have an attitude of submission. But look at now in verse 25, where we're going to start with our passage today. Verse 25, he says, husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. But we are members of his body. I'm sorry, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we do come to you and ask that you would, uh, you would speak to us, help us to understand these words as they apply to our lives today. And Lord, we thank you for giving it to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Christ-like love is the true measure of a man. You know, we talk about how do you measure a man? How do you measure a man's worth? You know, I, I, I'm kind of fascinated at the value. Ever, anybody ever look at those, um, uh, what is it, Parade Magazine gives the, the, the amount of pay people get? You know, you kind of look down there and you see how bad off you are compared to the rest of the world. Um, you know, that's just a miserable, miserable section, you know. And this time was pretty good. There are a couple of the zeros in there, like people who made zero. And I'm like, yeah, right, you're a CEO and you're making zero. You go, how, where are you stuffing this? Must be in Panama or something. Um, but um, the, this, you know, what, how do you measure the, the, the value of a man? You know, well, God's design for the husband, you know, the true measure is Christ-like love. Christ-like love. How's he doing? And for the, for the husband's role is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, I hate that passage. Not really. <laughs> love is more than just a feeling, right? 
We know that. Love is, a, is primarily the result of a decision. It's primarily the result of a commitment. When I counsel with couples regarding their, their respective roles, I often point out that God does not tell the wife to love her husband. I said that a moment ago, didn't I? It, I'm not going to talk to you about loving your husbands. That's not my point today. And I always wonder, well, why doesn't it do that? We'll talk about that. But it, he does tell the husband to love his wife. The wife is supposed to respect her husband. That's what he says. We'll talk about that later. I keep telling you that just so you'll know that this is not just a message for the guys, all right? And it's not a message, by the way, ladies. I just want to tell you, if you start beating your husband up over what I'm about to say, I'm going to come personally with my wife, of course, and beat you up, okay? All right? Don't quote me on that. Strike that from the record if it's being recorded. Now, a teacher acquaintance of mine um, by the name of Robertson McQuilkin demonstrated this kind of love toward his wife who had the early onset of, of Alzheimer's disease. Um, Robertson decided to give up a meaningful career, a uh, valuable career as a missionary and university president to take care of his wife. He just quit it all. And he said this. This is what he said uh, in explanation. He said, she is such a delight to me. I don't have to care for her. That was, this is an answer to the question, why do you, you don't have to care for her? Well, no, I don't. I don't have to care for her. I get to. When the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised in sickness and in health till death, do us part. You understand, Robertson grasps something that so many don't. As soon as he gets sick, or as soon as she gets uh, in, uh, uh, uncomfortable, I don't really like being with her, I, don't, I think I won't go, stick with this commitment. The commitment he understood, it was until death do us part, period, nothing else. My commitment was to her. His other alternative was to put her in a nursing home, and he refused to do that. He took care of her to her death, and I know that. But here in this passage, Paul is raising the value of marriage and women. Paul instructs the husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church. The word here was only used to describe God's love. You know that, right? Agape. This is that word coming from agape. The husband is to love like God loves his wife. His bride. It's unconditional, sacrificial, unfailing love. Love demonstrated on the cross. Love is demonstrated on the cross. This is how Christ loves the church. I'm going to kind of just run through some things here. Uh, Hopefully it'll go quickly, but I want you to grasp some things here. One, He gave himself up for her. This is what the pastor said. He gave himself up for her. That is, he delivered himself up. Now, you got the picture, right? We see him giving himself up. He's putting himself up on the cross. It's really as if he betrayed himself. 
He betrayed himself. He surrendered all he was to redeem the church. Men, we have that opportunity. We have the opportunity to betray ourselves, to give up ourselves, to redeem or to make valuable the lives of our wives. And I didn't mean for that to rhyme. It just came out that way, all right? Um, I couldn't think of another way to say it. But we, here we are. We're trying to... We can betray ourselves. What is, what is a betrayal? Well, I have desires and wants, don't I? There are things I want to achieve and accomplish, but I betray myself. I betray what I want to do for her. Wow. That doesn't sound too fun. Well, let's just go on for a moment. He sanctified her. That is, he consecrated her to, the, to God. He devoted her to God. He made her holy when she was not. That is the church. That's, this is what Jesus did for the church. He made her holy. He betrayed himself, and he made her holy before God when she wasn't. Compare this to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 19. He says, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Specifically, Jesus' statement could be read, I devote myself as a holy sacrifice, that my disciples also may be devoted or consecrated as holy or in or through the truth. He made us holy, men. He made us holy. He separated us. We, as holy men, are in the business of making our wives holy. That's a far cry from what I hear. Now, <laughs> I used to, I'm older, okay? I used to go door to door telling people about Jesus. And this, if you've ever done this, you'll, you'll know what I mean. If you've never done it, you will not really grasp this fully. But you'd go to the door and you'd say, Hi, I'm, my name's Tim Bissell. I'm, I'm from the church, and I'd just like to talk to you about Jesus. Well, I didn't want quite that blunt. I want to talk to you. Could, could I talk with you a moment? If the man answered the door, he would immediately, immediately, at least in Buffalo, he would immediately say, one minute, let me go get my wife. And what he meant was not, we're going to do this together. It was like, she's going to talk to you, but I'm not. That's her department. Sometimes he just flat out said, oh, that's my wife's department. And boom, she'd be at the door. Men, that is not what this passage is saying, is it? <laughs> oh no no this is he says your job is to make her holy oh it's not beating you up this is actually fun by the way guys it really is fun it can be it could be rough um some of our wives have more rough edges to work on i'm not i'm just i'm not saying who i'm not saying who but i always tell i tell my wife i said you know there's one woman i like in this world one woman, and I, I'm married to her. Everybody else, you know, I could tolerate you guys, okay? No offense, no offense. <laughs> that's not in my notes, right? My wife says, if that's not in your notes, don't say it. Um, he, he, you know, guys, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, if you haven't gotten close to another female in the world, you, you, you haven't figured out. I mean, one is enough. Polygamy, I don't get, okay? Do you guys get that? 
I don't get that. I mean, one, we've got a lot to work on. By the way, she gets me back in a moment. Hey, this is not a one-man show today. My wife is going to share with you in a moment. Just so you, not yet. Don't, don't panic yet. Um, he cleansed her, Jesus. He cleansed her by washing her with the water of the word. I always find the use of this word for cleansing to be interesting. See, this, it's the same word as, as John uses in, in uh, John 15 when he talks about pruning. And that cleansing that comes from pruning. And um, so, so whether, whether we're using it for water or for pruning, it, it's, it's to cut away the excess growth or, or remove unnecessary dirt. Uh, Christ uses the word, uh, the word of God as, it, as, as if it were a cleansing water or pruning um, shears in our lives. <laughs> Keep in mind here, the, the Greek word here that he's talking about, the word is rhematia, which is actually rhema. Have you ever heard the word rhema? You know, I mean, some churches call themselves the rhema fellowship or whatever. You know, that's, all that is is a spoken word. It's misused, by the way, just so you understand that. It's the spoken word. It's a spoken word. Now, so here's the deal. Men, consider the words you use when you speak to your wives. Are those words words which are washing and cleansing and purifying her? Or are they tearing her down? Or are they bringing her down? Or are they separating? How we use the spoken word is important here. Do they edify? Do they build up? He presented her to himself in splendor. You know, Jesus died to present his his bride to him on wedding day in perfection. That's why he did it. We weren't quite ready, right? Most of us pretty, I mean, if you added my piece of cloth to the wedding gown of his bride, it would not be a pretty thing. But Jesus died to change what I had to contribute to the church, to his bride, and he made it spotless. That's what the husband is doing for us, the groom, Jesus Christ. You had the opportunity to present your wife first to yourself, but there's something in here about presenting her to his ult- her ultimate bride. I'm sorry, to her ultimate husband. That you are preparing her for him. You know, if we kind of looked at our, our wives that way, wouldn't that change some things? Wouldn't that change some things? You know, my role is not so much that, and it's great, we get to present her to ourselves. You know, as we help her become a, a holy, godly woman, we get to present ourselves that same person. But, you know, ultimately, it's not for us. It's really not for us. It's to present her to him. What are you presenting? I think a lot about that. What am I presenting to God as I work with my wife? And that, does, that, that, that sounds pretty crass, I guess. You know, he's not really concerned about the outer appearance. He's, he is, however, interested in the inner qualities of godliness. I want to create in my wife godliness. I want to help her be a godly woman. I want to do whatever I can. Husbands have a glorious task of working with Christ and developing the qualities God wants in his bride. He presented her with spot or wrinkle, without spot or wrinkle. Well, I kind of mentioned that. He, he presented her as holy and without blemish. Perfect. Perfect. 
What Jesus does in us, he makes us perfect before God. We have that opportunity in our wives as well. We get to be a part of that work that Jesus is doing in their lives, what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. Look at verse, um, well, first of all, God, God calls on the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Your love, if it reflects God's love, cannot be dependent upon the value of your wife. Your love has to be dependent upon the value of your love. What you have, your ability to love, just as you would love your own body. Now, we all love our own bodies. You may not think you do, but you do. But we love our own bodies in different ways. Some of us love our own bodies by getting in shape, you know. And some of us love our bodies by eating as much as we possibly can. You know, I don't know why. It's just there, we have differences, the way we do that. Me, I get in shape so I can eat as much as I possibly can. It's kind of like they go together. Um, look at verse 29. Verse 29, he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We nourish our own bodies. You know, the wacky, only the wackiest people don't take care of their bodies in some way. And uh, certainly, only the wackiest refrain from feeding themselves. There are people that are like that, but what do we call them? We call them mentally ill. I'll put it the easy way. Okay? We don't say, oh, that's a normal person who's just starving herself. Right? We take care of our bodies unless there's something abnormal about us. Guys... We treat our wives as our own bodies. We take care of our wives unless there's something abnormal about our relationship. So it's a good measure. Are we, doing, are we living up to the relationship, the commitment? I don't mean we're perfectly in that. But this idea, by the way, is to bring up to maturity. We grew up from infancy because we were fed. We help our wives. We're bringing them up toward maturity. Husbands provide the spiritual nourishment that our wives need to grow in the ways of the Lord. The, the other word used here is cherish. The idea is to, war, is to warm or tenderly care for ourselves. We cherish our bodies. We t- we're tender about our bodies. I take care of my body. If I hurt, I go do something about it. If I'm really hurting, I go to the hospital. But there's something I'm going to do. I'm tenderly caring. I cherish my body. You know, I, I, way back in my day, they had a book, cher- a song, Cherish is the word I use to describe all the feelings that I have. You know, it's not really a feelings thing. This is something I choose to do. I cherish my wife. And we, I, she knows that. She knows I cherish her. She knows I value her to, ultimately. Uh, I'm ready to jump for her needs and take care, take care of every care she has if I can do it. Maybe to a fault sometimes. Uh, I will sacrifice my own comfort for hers. Man, your role, like Christ, is to sacrifice yourself for your bride. You get to model God's love. Disobedience makes us unlovable. You know, God loved us even though we were disobedient. We were unlovable. Guys, if your wife is unlovable, so what? So what? Love her anyway. That's, it's a command. It's not a question. It's not a say, oh, gosh, I've got to feel this way. No, love her. By the way, you'll be surprised if you love her how that will change her heart. I mean, if you really express love, and of course, some of that is, I think Mike kind of addressed that a bit, and it certainly we've done it in our, our weeknight thing, is, is kind of finding out how she needs to be loved. 
You know, part of loving her is just knowing her. Knowing what she needs, knowing how she ticks, knowing what she likes, what she doesn't like. For some reason, we don't do that very well because uh, most of us guys are, are sometimes, well, I don't want to beat us up, but sometimes we're clueless when it comes to women, you know. I mean, we think that they should think the way I think. You know, I don't know why she doesn't think the way I think. I mean, I think a certain way. I think we should do things a certain way and all of that. And, and um, she just doesn't think that way. So, so I have to not know how I think so much as how, much she, think, how she thinks. Uh, God did this for us. You see, God loves us first. God loves us first. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about it. God loves us first. So, so uh, we guys, we get that same privilege. We get to love first. You know, we should be breaking over the doors to be able to show love for our wives because we get to do it first, because we get to be like God. Don't get me wrong, you don't get to be God, but you get to be like God in her life. Love her first. Uh, we'll talk about that sometime later on, but, um, but his love is, is given as his choice. So we get to choose, not to feel, but choose to love God. And in this is love, John uh, tells us in 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, nice big word for our sins. Uh, that is, Jesus was the gift or sacrifice that appeased God's wrath. And again, John said uh, in, in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. That's our choice. We, we know about love because He loved us. How can the church fail to submit to the God who loves us first and with such a perfect love? <laughs> but we, we sometimes do mess up there. How can the bride fail to submit to a husband who loves her first with such a perfect love? Speaking of the bride, respectful attitudes and behavior are the measure of of a wife. Wives, now guys, don't beat up your wives now. This is, this is going to reverse this. I'll have to come beat you up. I find it interesting and informative that Paul doesn't instruct the wife to love her husband. It, it could be that God designed the wife with greater natural capacity for love. I don't know. Or perhaps more likely, man is not as concerned with the love component. He needs respect. He needs respect. He needs to be valued. Now, the word here, where he, this is, by the way, very, very last verse, verse 33. He says, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respect her husband. That word comes from that ever popular word, phobia. Phobos, you know, but the word where we get our word phobia. Now, isn't that weird? I have a wife phobia. <laughs> oh. But in context, in the context, we understand that we need to need to respect or be in awe of Christ. Right? Respect is a good word but might be understated in our language. Uh, when, when God or even an angel appeared to men in the Scripture, men always fell to the ground in fear and awe. 
Now, my wife is not going to fall to the ground in fear and awe of me, okay? Um, but the church understands the, this as it grows in, in the knowledge of the person nature of God, how we worship him. Now, as I'm getting ready to turn this over to my wife, all right, this is a big risk I'm taking. First of all, my wife is not going to preach, all right? She, would, she doesn't like women preachers. Um, well, she likes them. She just doesn't like them to preach. Um, she doesn't believe that that's something, a role that a woman is to play, okay? She's coming really kind of talk to you ladies, and you guys get to hear a little bit what, what she's going to say. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm a little troubled by this passage. Have you ever noticed, guys? Now, this is something that it, it troubles me, may trouble you, um, that there are three, about three verses dedicated to what wives are supposed to do for the husbands. And there are seven plus that are dedicated to what us guys are supposed to do for the wives. Doesn't that bother you just a bit? Okay, I just kind of, I'm laying out my complaint, my concern, but that's, that's, that has bothered me. Um, whatever, whatever. I, I thought the women would rather hear from Elise than, than me regarding these, uh, this passage, all right? Tim explained earlier that love is more than a feeling. It's the result of a decision and a commitment. And I would say that respect is also more than a feeling. I don't think sometimes we think of it that way, but it is. Respect can also be the result of a decision and a commitment. And respect really should be shown by actions. It really needs to be demonstrated or we don't see the respect. And feelings often follow actions. So I just want to say that to you ladies. You know, if you show the respect and demonstrate the respect for your husband... Many times the feelings will follow if you don't have those feelings of respect. I do think that most women do respect their husbands. I think most of us do. But it's important for us to demonstrate that respect. And how do we do that? Well, we can choose to trust them. You want to let that one sink in. We can choose to trust them. We can choose to admire them. We can choose to believe in them, and we can choose to honor them. We had a couple with whom we spent time discussing biblical issues while Tim and um, her husband, Dennis, were in seminary, and we'd often get together. And I noticed that Susan often wanted to know Tim's opinion about these different matters. She knew Dennis's opinion, but she wasn't sure whether she agreed with him, which is fine except that it seemed very obvious to me, and I'm sure that it was obvious to Dennis, that she didn't value his opinion as much as she valued Tim's opinion. She also, I noticed, seemed to value her own father's views over her husband's views. It was obvious to me, and I think that it was obvious to him as well. Now, please understand, Dennis was the associate pastor of our church and a very godly Christ follower, Um, Sadly, this ministry couple divorced after serving several years in a church and raising all their children. I don't want to simplify their issues by uh, saying that the one problem was the wife's lack of respect for her husband, but I'm sure that it was a contributing factor. And it seemed to tear her husband down rather than build him up over the years, even in those early years of their relationship. Before I was married... Um, I had 
there were, you know, when you're getting married, you have different people give you different advice and tell you different things. There was one woman who was, who had been a wife for many years. She was of maturing years. She gave me a scripture passage and it has stuck with me a long time. And this was the passage she gave me. And she just said, this is a verse. This is for you, for your husband. And this is it is Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. We can choose to dwell on those aspects that our husbands possess that are worthy of praise. We don't have to focus on areas that could use improvement. Okay, what if your husband is not a Christ follower or that you feel he has disobeyed God in some way? Well, Scripture even addresses that. Peter addresses this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, without a word, ladies, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In this passage, I notice that as wives, we are still to be submissive, and that the husbands can be one without a word by our respectful behavior to the Lord. I think without a word of stress, because we ladies are really good with our words. We know exactly what to say and how to say it. We know how to write it, communicate it. Well, in this case, it's really not as effective. Pleasing the Lord with our actions of respect is more effective than any words that we can say. That's all it's saying. It's just more effective to show our actions than our words. But if we must speak words, then let's speak those words to the Lord on behalf of our husbands. In a moment, you will be listening to a three-minute audio bite of the sermon preached by Dr. Evie Hill at his wife's funeral. Dr. Hill was pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles from 1961 until his death in 2003. He was considered one of the most significant preachers of the 20th century, and he was an influential leader in the civil rights movement. His wife called him Everett. Listen to how she showed respect to her husband. If you don't have time for service station, I wouldn't put any money in that. I said, I, I want to do it. She said, go right ahead. When I lost it, I, I called her and I said, well, I've lost the station. She said, all right. And when I got home, she wasn't at the door, and that's always her position, would be at the door. I said, uh-huh, she's pouting because we done lost this money. And I said, the baby, where are you? She said, I'll be out in a little bit. And she finally came out, and I said, now, what's wrong? She said, well, I've been figuring up something. I said, what have you been figuring? She said, well, I figured that you don't smoke and you don't drink. And if you had smoked and drank, you would have lost by smoking as much as you've lost in the service station. So 
Six in one hand, half dozen in the other, let's forget it. The Lord gave. I said, the Lord gave. She could have broken me at that point. She could have said, I told you. I went home one evening at night and I walked in the door and there were candles everywhere. And I said to her, what meanest thou this? She said, well, we've been married right at six months and I just thought we would have a candlelight supper. And that sounded groovy to me. And so she said, we're just going to eat by candlelight. But she forgot to put a candle in the bathroom. And I went in the bathroom to wash my face and cut on the lights and no light came. I went in the bedroom and cut on light and no light came. I went out and sat down. I said, baby, did they cut the lights off? She began to cry. She said, you work so hard, and we're trying, but it's pretty rough, and I didn't quite have enough money to pay the light bill, and I didn't want you to know about it, so I thought we would just eat by candles. She could have said, I've never been in this shape before. She could have said that. I was reared in the home of Dr. Carruthers, and we've never had our lights cut off. She could have broken my spirit. She could have ruined me. She could have demoralized me. But she said, let's eat by count. We'll turn the light on one day. Somehow or another, we're going to get... I know that uh, you'd like to hear the rest of that message, <laughs> but um, respect, love, this is what marriage is about, and uh, we at least found that and told me, that, that told me about that. We hunted it up, and uh, this is true. Men need respect. And you'll know this by how men part from their wives. You know, if they're not sensing respect in the home, there comes to be a pulling away. And whether a man goes after an adulterous affair or not, if a man feels disrespected in his home, he will find a mistress. And that mistress may be a job, a career, that mistress may be a, um, uh, a, a, a hobby, a sport, or, an event, or things they like to do, travel, whatever it is. Because it, either that, or you will find a very depressed and crushed man, as he talked about being demoralized. A man needs that. I don't know why we do, but we do. And we find respect. And there's nothing wrong with getting respect in the marketplace. But when you read about the Proverbs woman, what do you see? You see a, a man whose wife 
her, one of her major claims to fame is that her husband is respected in the gate, which was the influential part of the city. Because when a wife respects her husband, her husband gains respect in the world around. This is your opportunity, ladies, to have an amazing marriage. It's amazing what a guy... You know, that's what happens, and you'll see this in our study. That's what happens when a couple goes to counseling. A lot of times, you know, the question comes up, you know, she's what. Well, you know, does he, do you love her? Yes, of course I love her. She knows I love her. Never is it, he, I know I don't love her. It doesn't, that comes much later in a, as a marriage falls to pieces. He loves her, and she respects him. It needs to be shown, needs to be demonstrated. Jesus demonstrated his love for us and his respect for the Father. He came, he died, that you and I might have life. He showed us how much, not only that he loved us, but he was also building us and preparing us to be his. We show him respect when we respect. Ladies, you show him respect when you respect your husband, when you demonstrate that to him. So that's uh, what I want to encourage you today is Perhaps you're here, and I don't know, because I don't know all of you. Uh, perhaps you're here, and you're saying, you know what? I, you know, this Jesus stuff, I'm not sure about yet. I'm not sure about this church thing and all of that. I'm here because <laughs> I heard you were talking about marriage stuff. Now, I wasn't expecting all this stuff about Jesus, but I just want you to know the greatest source, men, the greatest source for you to be able to love your wives is to know how much Christ loved you. And the greatest source, ladies, for you to be able to respect your husbands is for you to know and see and model the respect Jesus had for his father. And that will, those relationships are found in Christ. And as God shows, God demonstrates his love for us as a church. And as we as a church, as a body, demonstrate our respect and our love for God the Father and, and, and his son. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can indeed develop these kinds of marriages. I can promise you it's possible. I can promise you. I always do my, my pre-marriage counseling, my marriage counseling. And my aim is for you to have the second best marriage on the face of this earth. Mine's the best. You can't get there. But you can get close. You can get close. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you and thank you so much for your love for us. Unconditional, undeserved Lord, today I pray for the people here, that this group of people, that their marriages will represent that to one another, the love and respect that you intended for us. And Lord, I pray that those who are here that don't know you yet, that, uh, that they would come to understand and un understand that they can know you, and by knowing you, they can have power in their lives and in their marriages. Lord, glorify your name in this place. Glorify your name in our marriages. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.